You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. I'm Seth Peterson. I am Debbie Hedren. I'm Rhonda Schwartz. I'm Josh Roberts. This is Jesslyn Gilson. Hello, I'm Victor Webb. Hi, this is Charlotte Ross. Hi, this is Ed Begley Jr. What's up, you guys? This is AJ from the Bastion. Hi, this is Shannon Elizabeth, and you're listening to Talkin' Pets. Talkin' Pets. Talkin' Pets. And you're listening to Talkin' Pets. Talkin' Pets. Talkin' Pets. With John Patch. John Patch. You're listening to Talkin' Pets with John Patch. Hello, America, and welcome to Talkin' Pets with your host, John Patch. Join John and his expert guests with all of your pet questions, concerns, comments, and stories. Now it's time for Talkin' Pets with your host, John Patch. And welcome to Talkin' Pets, heard coast-to-coast coast on your favorite radio station. This is Talkin' Pets, and I'm your host, John Patch. Pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 866-606-TALK. We have a special guest joining us this hour. Her name is Barbara King. Barbara J. King is the author of Being with Animals, Why we are obsessed with the furry, scaly, feathered creatures who populate our world. We want to talk with you at 866-606-TALK. The show is produced by Miss Amanda Page. Hey there, Johnny boy. How are you? I'm doing good. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, happy Valentine's Day to you as well. Are you wearing any red? Oh, actually, no. I got a little red right there, so. That's good. Good to start. My underwear red. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) The show is also produced by Mr. Tony Leg at Business Talk and Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. So when you pick up the phone, you're going to speak with Tony, and he's going to put you on the air with us. We're going to be speaking with Barbara King and also giving away two or three of her books. So if you've got a question about animals, you can pick up the phone and give us a call. 866-606-TALK. That's 866-606-8255. I'm John Patch. And Amanda Page. And this is Talking Pets. Chips, chips. Barbara J. King is Chancellor Professor of Anthropology at the College of William and Mary. She has studied monkeys in Kenya and great apes in various captive settings. She writes essays on anthropology-related themes for Bookslut.com and the Times Literary Supplement out of London. The, uh, together with her husband, she cares for and uh, arranges to spay and neuter homeless cats in Virginia. We want to welcome on to the program Barbara King. Hey, Barbara, how you doing? Welcome to Talking Pets. Hi, Barbara. Thank you. Now, you've got a great, you know, Being with Animals. This is a wonderful book here. And, and right off the bat, when I actually, um, you know, I want to introduce you, by the way, right off the bat to Amanda Page. Hi there. Hi, Amanda. But when I was saying, like, when I saw this book, one of the um, quotes that I saw, actually, from a dear friend and someone that I referenced to this day, he was on the show many, many years ago when he wrote the book, uh, When Elephants Weep, and mm-hmm. just absolutely loved the man. Um, Jeffrey Mason, and um, Being with Animals is a Remarkable Work, and the Deconstruction of the Man, the Hunter, alone is worth the price of the book. The author has amassed and digested an enormous range of literature and has a special take on just about everything involving animals and spirituality. It is a fascinating uh, reading and um, from Jeffrey Mason. That's a nice quote. It is. I'm very grateful for it. Uh, coming from him, that means a great deal to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, I, mean, I, I referenced that book of his constantly for people to read it. Yeah, I think we're all coming to realize that animals, not just humans, but all other animals, many other animals, have deep emotions, and that we're looking at animals with different eyes, and he's been very influential in, uh, in that kind of movement. 
You know, you talk about in the book um, a little bit, you know, I, I review films as well um, on the side, you might say, and and you talk about films such as Marley and Me or Cat in a Hat that, you know, animals kind of rule our existence. What, what's your reference in terms of that? Well, what I'm really interested in is understanding that people all around the world in whatever society have some patterns, some human patterns of immersing themselves with animals. So in our society, it can be uh, being so incredibly attracted to books about animals or film about animals or having pets in our house, as I certainly do. In other societies around the world, it may be a different type of expression of that bond with animals. And my job as an anthropologist is to make sense of that. You know, where did that come from and how far back in prehistory can we see the roots of those types of behavior? And that's what I'm, I'm all about in this project. You know, you compare actually Marley and me, you get into actually Mickey Mouse and um, also like the Affleck duck. Um, <laughs> how do you, I mean, you're comparing all those and people see like animals more and more on television. And, you know, if you look at the advertising agencies and you look, for instance, the Super Bowl, uh, you look at the ads there, the majority of the top ads have animals in them. Yeah, it's funny that you should mention that, because I've been thinking about that a lot this week, obviously. And as I was waiting to go on air, what did I hear about a Geico commercial? And we all know the Geico Gecko, mm -hmm. the Affleck Duck, Mickey Mouse. And I was watching the Olympics opening ceremony from Vancouver last night, and I noticed that there were a large number of animal symbols projected when the First Nations of Canada, the um, uh, Canadian Indians, were um, performing. And I think that this just speaks to the fact that we see our own qualities in other animals. And some scientists are concerned about this. You know, they dismiss it and they say, oh, we can't be anthropomorphic. We can't say that other animals feel like us or act like us. But to me, I think it's just human nature to do that. We have been on this evolutionary journey with other animals for many, many thousands of years, and we have so much in common with them that it's kind of natural and it's also fun. It's just part of what we do as humans. What do you think about in the aspect when people say that, you know, my dog has emotions or, you know, my cat has feelings? I mean, what's, what's your take on that? Well, I'd say two things. I believe that people who see emotions in their dogs and cats are insightful people because I certainly do. As I um, think you know and you mentioned, my husband and I have a large number of cats that we care for, and we know them each as individuals with personalities, and we know that they feel so surrounding um, ourselves with animals, it's impossible to ignore the fact that they have emotions that they think and that they feel. As a scientist, I also, when I watch apes, for example, which I do with my students at the College of William & Mary, I know that they're feeling, but I don't want to sit down in front of an enclosure at a zoo and just assume that they're feeling the way that I would be feeling. So the trick is to go uh, look at animals or be with animals with a, a deep knowledge that they're feeling, but watch them and let them tell you more about the context and the emotion rather than projecting, you know, what's in your mind, because we can't assume that every animal is like every other animal or like us. But I think the two things can coexist, the acceptance of animal emotion and then a little bit of a detachment and watching to, to see what they have to tell us. You know, just on page 156 in your book, you get into a quote here and you say, animal emotions are not restricted to instinctual responses, but entail what seems to be a good deal of conscious thought. Yeah, I am a big believer in thinking of animals, uh, again, not every single animal in the world, but the animals that I'm dealing with as conscience, conscious and sentient. And one thing that I've been very um, 
sort of a- attracted to is the understanding of how animals uh, perceive or feel death. The apes that I have looked at in in captivity show a great deal of emotion for each other and emotional bonding and concern for each other. And what we're learning is that whether it's in Africa, in the wild with apes, or in zoos, if an ape dies, the group members really need time to process that. And I believe that's because they're both conscious and feeling creatures. So one practice that has taken root in the U.S. and also in Canada and some places in Europe is if an ape dies, and I'm talking here about, say, a gorilla or a chimpanzee, to give time for the family members to really sit with the body. And the fact that this has been taken up at zoo management levels and has been witnessed as well by observers in the wild really speaks to me about that combination of thinking and feeling that we share with our closest living relatives. You know, it's interesting because on this subject of, you know, chimpanzees and, and apes and all, and what do you, what's your take on the, on the woman that out of Connecticut that, you know, her, she had that chimpanzee in her home. She lived with this chimpanzee, which was, a, was like an actor, if you want to call it. Um, and then a friend comes over and the chimpanzee ends up ripping her face off. Um, this woman has lost her, her eyes, her ears, her nose, uh, you know, it, her hands. Um, just amazing. But what's your take on these people that have, they feel that they have to have a wild animal in their living room or that they can tame these animals to actually be a pet? Yeah, while I understand the impulse because chimpanzees are fascinating creatures, I can say unequivocally that it's just wrong. that These animals are not meant to be pets, and they are not dangerous animals in their normal context, but when brought into a human world and when they grow up from being cute and cuddly juveniles, uh, they're simply not predictable animals. In the wild, chimpanzees can be very loving and very compassionate. Uh, there was a chimpanzee named Flo, long studied by Jane Goodall, who was given an obituary in the London Times when she died. So many people knew about her because she raised her family with love and compassion. She had a whole lot of offspring, and people found them to be a fascinating family. But we also know in the wild that chimpanzees can be really violent and really cruel with each other. So here you bring an animal into a suburban home in Connecticut. This is Travis, the chimpanzee that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And this woman, you know, not only gave him a bedroom and access to television and access to the kitchen so he could mix up his own food, but she gave him uh, different types of uh, tranquilizers. And this simply goes to show that an animal like this is not really meant to be in a house. If you're going to have to tranquilize such an animal, there's something wrong to begin with. The real tragedy is, of course, the woman who was injured through no fault of her own and then the fact that Travis was killed. I ha- 